Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a brand new edition of Freedom Books, Flowers in the Moon, the podcast brought to you each week by the Times Literary Supplement. My name is Stig Abel, the editor of the TLS. With me is the feudal fromagiste herself, Thea Lenarduzzi. And Thea, I saw an article this morning in The Garden and thought of you, and I want to tell you about it. I'm sure you will. Go on. The headline was this. A big stink. Visitors complain about giant cheese board festival's failings. Was this my house party? No. Oh, OK. Here is the opening line. An event promising unlimited cheese reportedly ran out of cheese, <laughs> but organisers refused to refund aggrieved attendees. This refund? Is refund. Refund. <laughs> aggrieved attendees. Quite hard to say, that, actually. Anyway, the festival had undertaken to provide unlimited cheese, mulled wine and giant mice oh. to help guests navigate the huge cheese board. Were they very well-trained mice? No, or were they human mice? They were human mice, <laughs> a bit like when Lucy had to dress up as a, as a never, Disney World. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. kind of animal. But anyway, it was supposed to be like walking around a giant's kitchen. Alas, to many paying customers, the cheese was hard, there was no camembert, and they couldn't find the comedy in the speak cheesy room. This I'm not happens, making this, this up. This happens every year here, this, doesn't it? There's, there's some big exactly. blowout festival thing and then everyone cries and it's horrendous. Seldom People is that about cheese, Ill. though. It's a, it's a, Children are wailing. It's a tabloid it's staple. You always go to like a winter wonderland yeah. thing and it's, it's just like... It's at the like, side of the motorway. Yeah, exactly, it's mud. Yeah, exactly. It's grim. Anyway, the, the organisers <laughs> have accepted that the halloumi burger and camembert chef had indeed fallen ill the night before. But has said, they have said that categorically there is unlimited cheese at all future events. How are you not going to this event? <laughs> it doesn't sound like the sort of event that What's I it called enjoy? again? The Giant Cheese Board. <laughs> no? <laughs> Next year. You I'm a solitary it. cheese eater. <laughs> are you? In the comfort of my own home. Okay. I, okay. Bring my, I ask my servants to bring me cheese. You're not a... <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak to the peasants. Just eat it quietly. You're by a the feudal fire. cheese eater. Well, that's. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been saying that for weeks. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the TLS, Google TLS subscriptions and type pod1 in the offer code section. You can get six issues for £6. And do reviewers on iTunes. Coming up on the last entirely live show of 2017 is our almost annual in the sense I think we did it last year, Arts of the Year programme. That's right, four literary journalists review the suggestions of others as to what were the major cultural events of the year before implausibly suggesting some of our own. Has our arts editor Lucy Dallas even been to the theatre herself? Is a question that we will reasonably ask and answer. 
I, I, I have. You have. Good. <laughs> so Most of the time, I'm very, very busy working in the office doing the work that I have to do for you, Stig, but I have also struggled out to the theatre well every done. now and again. That is indeed arts editor Lucy Dallas, who, talking of cheese, as we were, used to be employed directly by Mickey Mouse and came to the TLS via indie pop stardom. Hello, Lucy. Hello. I didn't understand the cheese of Mickey Mouse, and I've just got it yeah, now. Yeah, Mickey Mouse, yep. Disney. You did work for Disney. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I met Mickey on several occasions. I've worked with him. Good friends? Uh, very nice, though. I tended to hang out with Goofy and Pluto a bit more. I'm not really? kidding. I'm actually not kidding. Was there a division of people? Like, like, if you were a Goofy sort person... Of, sort of. The Goofy the and the Plutos, were, well, they edgier. were a bit younger, and they were very tall. They were quite often faintly <laughs> rowdy young men, because they had to be very tall. Yeah. Edgier. Obviously, I, c- I can't give anyway away any more than that because no, my lawyers would be yeah, killing the magic yeah. <laughs> also joined by fiction editor Toby Lichtig who unusually enough for him is not on some sort of specious junket in a sunny place but has struggled into the office hello hi Toby how are you yes very well not on a junket but otherwise good Thea is wearing an alpaca coat yes and you have eaten alpaca yes, recently in the past few weeks when I, when I was on my last junket in Peru <laughs> I ate quite a lot of alpaca so it's very nice does it taste like chicken uh, no it tastes better than chicken oh. sort of better l- than chicken better even than chicken l- sort of lamby. Yeah. Say. Um, that would make sense. Yeah, 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 very nice. I recommend it. No well, guinea pigs, though. No, exactly. You mustn't eat guinea pigs. I didn't have guinea pigs. But you would do. <laughs> I, I would so eat a guinea pig. I, I would eat a guinea pig. Toby, tell us what else you've eaten on your travels abroad. Um, baby seahorse. I, I, I ate a baby seahorse. But, I mean, that's that's fine. What? That's, what, that's, what they, that's what they eat in China. I do had, they? I, I ate seahorse. It's not in danger. They're farmed. No. What does it taste like? Very horrible. Cruelly farmed, really? I would imagine. Well, no. Well, I have actually <laughs> no, no idea about farmed. it. It was very. It was, it was really not very nice. Yeah. It was very gristly. I wouldn't particularly recommend it. Could have been it. a battery seahorse. Could have been. I unconfirmed. Oh. I couldn't really read the menu. My host ordered for me, but it was. It was very nice. I mean, it wasn't very nice. It was horrible. Well? It's horrible. Did you eat starfish as well? No, I didn't eat starfish. I ate fish lips uh, fish at the same lips. city, and that they were quite nice. Well, actually, they were quite nice. Really? It sounds funny, yeah, but it's probably all right. Fatty, but in a good way. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, I, th- I almost feel we should stop now. I mean, how are we going to get better than... So that's food of the year. Yeah, exactly. Fish lips, cheese. Thank you for joining us and... on What to Eat This Year, yeah, exactly. 2017. Yeah, very good. It's almost a... It's almost a um, I feel a bit depressed going into the Arts of the Year, but let's do it. Let's go into the Arts of the Year pages, Lucy, which you just said as you sat down, I should have read these. I didn't, actually. I said... <laughs> let me, can I just correct you there, yeah, Stig? I said... I, what I actually said was I didn't read these, but that's not true. What I meant was I didn't read these just before coming Again. on for the 15th time because yeah. I have obviously read them many, many times. And indeed edited them. Yes. Okay, yes, so uh, what struck anything struck, struck you particularly about them before we go into some of the specifics? Uh, there were a co- I, liked, I liked the spread of them. They were nice and international, yep. which, is, which is what we like. And they were over quite a big spread generally of kind of art forms. There was quite a bit about women and music. Which was good. I, I thought that was interesting. Let's, let's start with this. Anna Picard has talked about... It starts with a composer. A composer had said something stupid in, in, in the year. Is that right? Uh, no. Well, I mean, lots of people say um, have said something. The, the, it, was a, it was Maris Janssen's, I think. Was it him who said it? No, it was a reporter who said that the new conductor of the CBSO, whose name I can't pronounce... Oh, Merga. Yeah. Everybody calls her Merga. Merga. Let's call her Merga. Not least because she's got... Um, Grajinit Tyler? Yes, I'm sure that's absolutely it. Okay. Uh, she's a bit of a star, actually. Um, and uh, this uh, a reporter, I think, on The Telegraph had said that when she was doing Marla, she needed to find her inner man. So, 
And he actually, so, and, and then the, the Latvian composer said, uh, and then Maris Johnson said that yes, that um, female composers weren't his cup of tea. Yes, and then he went, oh no, I, I didn't mean that. No, obviously they're super. So is there? A, it's an interesting question. Can you have a? Is, is Mahler particularly male? Do you have particularly male music? Do we think? No. Do you have male writing? Do you have male art? Well, I don't know. Would you say Hemingway was a peculiarly no, masculine... I'd Heming- no, I'd say he was macho, not masculine. Oh. We sort of say things like muscular, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Ludicrous. Yeah. Do you get... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I don't... Ludicrous. Well, uh, he's, 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 he's very apt to parody Hemingway. But is it wrong, if someone said to you, Hemingway is a peculiarly masculine writer, would you take him up on... Take I'd, them say, up on I'd say a peculiarly macho writer. I do not believe yeah, in feminine or masculine difference. writing or music or anything else. So why would Marla be acute? Why would anyone think that Marla is... Because they of... think Marla is proper, because there's the same old kind of snobbery and sexism. There are very few female composers anyway, but Marla is one of the big, you know, is one of the giants, and it's supposed to be kind of... All of those words that you just said, muscular and yeah. serious and... But, but, actually, but actually, vulgar. <laughs> but the other point Anna makes in this piece, that actually Marla isn't considered especially proper. Marla's kind of considered a bit in the cheap seats. Vulgar is the word that... Uh, it's interesting how snooty some people still are about Mahler as they yeah. are about P- Puccini. Puccini, definitely. Finding I both composers vulgar. Absolutely. Puccini, there's, an, there's an extraordinary snobbery about Puccini. I, I wasn't aware so much of the Mahler one. Yeah, there's a huge snobbery because I don't really know why. It's that you're, Wagner is fine and Puccini is just kind of... Because it's got famous songs. Because it's got big tunes in it and because people know it. But, I mean, there's nothing better than Puccini. But Mahler's like this. I, I like Mahler and I feel that's possible because I am vulgar because I like the... There's a sort of romantic, lush expanse to but it. But that's not vulgar. But it's not, diffi- it's not, it's not difficult music, <laughs> no, is it? No, no. No, but of... sometimes he can be difficult. Yeah. I used to listen to a lot of Marley, but it feels... Yeah, it feels it's wonderful. Yeah. It's expansive. It and lo- Of course it isn't. How could it possibly be vulgar? Well, it's a, it's a, it seems it's a ridiculous charge, I think. I think what they mean is it's got a nice big tune and you can hum it. But as I say, it's also got all sorts of other aspects to it. Uh, and it's a way of showing that you are in the cultural elite if you call something vulgar, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, that's very true, very true. Is it a good thing, do we think, that, that there is a female conductor? Is that a rare thing? In the, uh, yes, in the it's still quite rare. Yes, absolutely, it's a good thing, especially because it's a CBSO, because Simon Rattle was there before, and it's a place that people look at, and they do a lot of interesting and exciting things. Is that beginning to change, or, or is, is this... Yes, a still? bit, yeah. Because yeah. orchestras, when, I, when I, I see an orchestra, it feels like it's a fairly even male-female split. Is that right? I don't, I don't know if... I don't know, actually. It, Do it might be. instruments tend to be associated with. <laughs> I don't know enough about muscular, this. Muscular, muscular instruments. There is a yeah. sort of there is a there is a <laughs> set of people known as the brass lads. Yeah, well, I can imagine because you know, really, like trumpets and like cornets. <laughs> yeah, and, and they go to the pub halfway through. I mean, that, that people do do that. They really do. Why? Why? They're, because they're, they're not in in the in the yeah in yeah. the second and third acts or whatever it is, <laughs> and that and that has traditionally been a bit blokish. I don't really know about about yeah. orchestras, but I my guess is that you know since there's a fair amount of good old fashioned sexism up at the top, Indeed, my guess is that there yeah. is all the way through as well. But this notion that these composers move like a man or a woman, that the conductors move like a man or a woman, is ridiculous. Isn't it? Well, but actually, what she was saying, what Anna was saying here, I think, is what she's saying is she's kind of throwing herself about. And she she finds it rather joyous. She's she's saying she moves like a girl, but she means a a girl who is not thinking about how she's judged. A young girl, like who, a child. Like, yeah, yeah, but kind of throwing themselves around in response. It's not in response to the music. She's the person guiding and shaping the music. Adam Mars Jones has recommended blockbusters, which is interesting. We'll come to blockbusters maybe in a moment. Mm-hmm. But he's also given what can only be described as the most gushing puff of a TV show <laughs> ever, where he says. 
talks about the third series of Detectorists. This is the reverse of an ego trip, despite being written and directed by its star, Mackenzie Crook. If the programme makers want to quote me as saying this, is the best pastoral comedy since As You Like It, I suppose I will have to let them. Is it... <laughs> The best pastoral comedy since As You Like It. I don't know about that because I don't. I'm not. I've really never in a seen it. Position to judge what, what you know what has been the best pastoral comedy, but I completely agree. It's wondrous. It's lovely. Why is it so good? Because it's. What's it about? It's about detectorists. Metal detectors. Metal detectors. Yeah. 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 Is it funny? Yes, but it's not. It's gentle. It's not one-liners. <laughs> it's not just gentle. It's extremely well observed, and it is like English. That's why. That's why I was talking about English pastoral in the subtitle because. It, in a very quiet way, it shows you English fields and there's, you know, birds singing and all Is it like of Last of the Summer Wine? No, no, it's not like Better Last of the Summer Wine. Better even than that. It's very observant. That's a bad it's comedy, It's very it? understated. It's very inclusive. That makes I'm making it sound as though it kind of goes on about Englishness, which it absolutely doesn't. And, it's, and you have to pay attention, and it's lovely. It's interesting that Muir, the, the phrase English pastoral appears twice in these Yes, pages. I noticed from, that in Muir, Muir Zaga's one, yeah, talking about Pink Floyd. About Pink well. Floyd. But that she means that kind of um, 60s, that kind of sort look of back to the yeah, late mm. Victorian kind of whimsy of Alice in Wonderland and that kind of thing. I mean, it's the same strain, you know. I mean, as Adam says, it's from As You Like It all the way through. There is a there is a strain of English pastoral. And then actually you've got Jez Butterworth, he's mentioned by um, Marie mm. Margronis as well, and he also Jerusalem, does yeah, he does English right. pastoral yeah. as well. So yeah. There's, yeah, there's well, I think also the, the, there seems to be a lot of the modernist painters uh, have had exhibitions this year. We mm. talked about David Jones and that there's, um, there's Nash, been a, Nash yeah. which, which again seems to be a kind of rural... Maybe as we all get sick to death of technology there will be a backlash. I'm hoping every year I hope for a, an anti-technology backlash. I, I would agree with you, but not anti-tech in itself, but anti-tech firms. Or yeah, or anti-overwhelming tech. Like, yeah. l- l- like yeah. we're, instead of experiencing the life of the countryside or the life in its real fleshy reality rather than yeah. you know, mediated through a load of blips and mm. screens. I guess yes. that's why metal detecting is a good subject. You can't, you know, you can't really, you can't really. Sort of, <laughs> is it a good well, one? Well, really, no, except do, they do use. I mean, tech. Of course, it's they nice. use tech, but yeah. they're, they're still interacting with the ground. Absolutely, they are. You can't yeah, really yeah, get yeah. away from that. And it's also they just they're, they're, they get stung by wasps and bothered by magpies and things. It's very. I mean, it's very yeah. low key. That doesn't make it sound very dramatic. I want to. I want to watch it. And really? It's got Toby Lovely. Jones in it. And I it's think lovely. He's, I is it Woodhouseian? That's a kind of no, because it's a very different style. It's okay. not. Um, it's not kind of big and and bright like that. It's it's closer to the ground. <laughs> yes, yes, it is quite. I'm close not sure to if this case has been made here at all. <laughs> you, uh, you you really really should really? watch it. It's a super. Matt watched thing. two episodes and stopped watching. Well, so, there you we're go. gonna ha- I'm gonna have words with Matt later. Okay. Uh, Adam Mars Jones, who it has to be said, reviews esoteric films for the TLS has chosen Blade Runner 2049 and Dunkirk mm. what do we think was this a year of good blockbusters do we think I mean a lot of comic book I, I mean I think it was but I, I haven't seen Blade Runner or um, Dunkirk what, what is a good blockbuster of the year well I like I like go on I have a weakness for Marvel you do as you know <laughs> Thor Ragnarok splendid yeah <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming also very very good yeah <laughs> um, Star Wars have you seen the new Star Wars? I have, is it yeah. good? Yes. Is it as good as everyone says it is? Uh, how good does everyone say well, it is? Well, it seems to be getting uniformly praised. I it's, mean, it's not as exciting as the last one, but the last one was so completely overexciting. And also re- just redemptive, wasn't it? Because basically George Lucas had screwed up Star Wars yes. for, the, yeah, for yeah. the middle three. Yeah. And the notion that they had it in the hands of someone 
who at least liked the originals and wanted to, to do something that related to the first three. And they've got just... new, new characters, and it's completely opened out now, yeah. um, whilst keeping the old, the old, the same people. I had a thing about Marvel, which is that they, they've made tw- 16 films and they've netted $12 billion box office from that. So this is what films are now, isn't it? Just franchises. I can't get excited. Can you get, so, did, yeah. Is anyone else? Would you, would you go and see a comic book film? Not really, no. I mean, yeah. like, maybe, but it's, it's, it's not top of my list at all. Thea? doesn't interest me. Sin City was quite good. Yes, I like Sin City. That was, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, that, was, that was a while ago. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was the only one I was really, interested in yeah. seeing. That was particularly clever. Very dark, very clever. So what are we missing out on? Lucy, do you think? Oh, well, I mean, I think you have to like the comics. I used to like the comics. Um, well, like, maybe you don't have well, to. Well, you can't do, actually, because if you look at the scale of these things, it must be appealing to more than that original comic book audience. I guess when my kids are old enough, or kid, I will start probably going to more of those sort of films. But yeah, to, to, it's, to, it's not the sort of thing I particularly want to go to by myself. No, but we're missing Is it the same sort of genre satisfaction as you would get with a very genre-heavy novel then where you you you, you enjoy it because yeah. you know what's going to happen and you know that the no i think i think you're be... much, being much more sophisticated than i am i just i, I i've got in, in this in the in these areas i've got the tastes of a 14 year old boy i just like them though i do have to say i am talking about marvel and not dc not dc is too dark and gloomy isn't it i find it boring it's it takes itself seriously marvel doesn't take itself seriously which is crucial Okay. Well, listen. We're going to move on now. And anyone have anything else to say? Any surprises on this? Just as a small observation, I noticed that there there are quite a few, and unsurprisingly, mentions of the migrant crisis in different sort of art forms. So we've got a bit of theatre. There's um, Mika Ross South that talks about uh, an exhibition she went to, which sounds fascinating, by Richard Moss at the Barbican Centre, mm. um, which looks at the sort of the movements of refugees through their heat imaging. Uh, long-range border surveillance technologies and it sounded very very moving but it just it seems to be quite unsurprisingly a subject that is being drawn on by but maybe surprisingly because as it passes out of the news agenda that is almost a sad thing in some ways when it's being refracted through exhibitions or artworks it's good but maybe that's a sign that it's sort of seeped to a lower level of culture rather than the immediate. Yes, or possibly it's been around so long that people have, you know, been playing with these ideas for a few years and it's now very much, you know, it t- takes time for it to percolate through art and, and that's yeah, sort of really so happening now. Uh, Ai Weiwei's got his film out. Yes. Ai Weiwei's got his Human film out Flow, now, yeah. Human Flow, which I haven't seen yet. Have you seen it? No, no. Okay, well then we can't talk about that because nope. none of us have seen I'm it. I'm sure but it's that, very that, good. That is, that is a, a prime example of it taking however many years it does yep. from the first time that it blips onto our on new screens to then be studied and gathered issues, into something. Issues of, issues of our time, it's just, it's just struck me briefly, it's quite interesting that so we've got a lot of stuff about the migrant crisis and nothing at all on, say, global warming, you know, which which one could also argue is, you know, the issue of our time. And no, it's one just, cares. no one, no one mean, cares. No one cares. As soon as there's any economic it's too problems, big. Yeah. Yeah, it's people too just big can't deal with it. So, yeah. Although maybe things, shows like, you know, talk about big TV shows. Of Handmaid's the Tale. Yeah, handmade, yeah. Go on. which we're going to talk about, I hope. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 that's, that's very, of, yeah. in fact, that's very, very strong on both migration and borders yeah. and yeah. also climate change. And also Blue Planet, arguably, is another yeah. thing that is, a, is, is like one of the big British TV shows of the year. And, and this year particularly has been about plastics in the ocean mm-hmm. and things like that. Right, we, what we should do then, we should move on in a moment to talk about our recommendations to prove that we all have had cultural experiences this year. We'll do that in a second. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. 
Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and make our own recommendations based on things we've actually seen. So I thought we'd have some categories, but I mean, do feel free to break free of those in a postmodern fashion. Shall we start? I thought we could do the best and worst examples of various cultural entities. So theatre, music, TV and film, and then anything else. You happy with this, Lucy? You've got your arms crossed. I've got my arms not... crossed defensively because I'm going to quibble with your categories before. Go on then. Before I don't, I don't, I don't really like the idea of doing worst because I'm on the side of the artist. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on the side of the punter who is compelled sometimes to pay massive amounts of cash for loads of self-indulgent drivel. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm actually very much with you there. Um, give up time and money, and I think it's very, very important to be critical. But uh, I how, agree. however, I, I actually I don't have too much to hate on at the moment because I normally just walk away from things uh, yeah. you know, that, that I switch on that I hate. But. I think I'm happy to um, point out flaws in you know vast productions by yeah, people exactly. who could and should have exactly. done better. But I'm not going to go. Oh, my, the worst thing I've ever seen. No, fair enough. You're quite right. Well, I'm sure we're actually agreeing more than we're disagreeing there, Lucy, which is lovely. <laughs> Let's start with the theatre. Shall we? Who wants to offer something good? I can do best and worst. Go on then. For this one. Go on. And there's actually two things that I've reviewed for the TLS this year, so I won't bang on about it. But um, there's The Ferryman by Jez Butterworth, which I think is utterly brilliant. And then there's Albion by Mike Bartlett, which I I can't say it's the worst thing I've seen all year, or that it's even that terrible. It's just quite bad. And everyone else seemed to love it. And I noticed that Michael Billington in The Guardian in his top ten plays of the year, and Michael Billington sees a lot of plays. He He's got Jez Butterworth, The Ferryman, as number one, and Mike Bartlett's Albion as number two, and this struck me as completely extraordinary. And what's wrong with Albion, then? It's just incredibly banal. It's got very, very cliché characters. You know, the sort of the hard-working Polish immigrant and the, the lazy indigenous British cleaner and the, the city slicker who's come to the country and causes all sorts of disturbances. And then it doesn't go anywhere with them. You sort of think the clichés yeah. are there to, to be subverted. And then it just... It, it's, it's the most sort of banal of middle-class sort of semi-comedies. And it's uh, been sort of talked about in this State of the Nation play, and I just don't see it. 
I've got a theory that's brewing that plays these days are tremendously well acted because there's lots of very, very good. It, it is very very well acted. The production's great. Yeah, I have no problem with that. They're often at all. well directed, but there is there is a dearth of brilliant writing because I think people try and write plays about ideas rather than people. And I've seen quite a few sort of middle of the road productions mm. this year. So that theory completely fits into this. The 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 characterization is pretty banal. The ideas are actually banal as well, but you're right, it doesn't go anywhere. And the, the main reason why Jez Butterworth's play and indeed plays are so good is just the writing is fantastic and the characters are so believable and they're so nuanced. And, and you were talking about cliches in, in Albion and there are none of those in, in Ferryman. No. All of the people are so utterly real. The acting is brilliant and it's plot. So it's set in 1981 in County Yamaha. So Bobby Sands is on hun- hunger strike at the time and that's sort of the backdrop to mm. it. And you'd think it could very easily slip into stereotyping about um, you know, the IRA and the struggles and all of that sort of stuff. But it's it's so subtly done and it's just so poised. And Paddy Considine is amazing. He's wonderful. But and he's Laura the, Donnelly as she's well. She's amazing. But also actually the whole cast is fantastic. Yeah, all so of them. There's not a, not a dud. There is not a dud. And, all, but, and no one really steals the show. I mean, yeah. Paddy Considine does for certain things, but no one steals the show because sort of everyone is included in the writing. Mm. And that, that's one of the things that works so well about it, I think. Yeah. I reckon I've seen three not good plays in this area. Against, which was Ben Wishaw, very, very good. And it was a play about... Uh, a tech billionaire who wants to f- solve the problem of violence in the world, and it was about Amazon and capitalism. And it was obviously they'd obviously sat the guy had written it, obviously gone, oh, I want to deal with Amazon capitalism and violence, and therefore we got to play back formed from that. And I was just thinking, mm. none of the great plays, the plays that we'll all remember for years and years, you know, which possibly may include Jez Butterworth, no play is ever written like that. They're mm. written by people who want to tell stories and introduce you to characters. They don't want to schematically solve a problem. But they can yeah. they can still have problems and themes running through them. Tom Stoppard, I'm thinking of, who has real people and sort of, you know, ideas. Yeah, but he has... But I, he's unusual. I mean, I, he's unusually good. Yeah. And Jez Butterworth was... It is very much about the stories and how they all come together. Mm. And my other play... Again, the, so both of my plays of the year are royal court ones, um, and they're very different, in part because Jez Butterworth was very, 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 very long. I think it was the longest play I've ever seen. It was about three hours, was it? Yeah. Three, three it didn't hours, feel three. long, but so, the other play... Yeah, it doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel long. ...was Escaped Alone by Carol Churchill, and that was just over 45 minutes, and that was so strong. It was short and sharp, and talking about storylines in in the plays there wasn't really a storyline in this one at all but what it was it was it was i think five women sitting in a sunny garden and one of the characters played by linda bassett who's incredible she would sort of step out of the frame every now and again and she'd have these like cassandra like uh, moments of prophecy where she'd be prophesying the coming of the apocalypse and you know this was a time when uh there would be chemical fallout and the richest would be able to buy gas masks. No one else would, but the, the rich people could have them in an assortment of different colours. Uh, and obese people would be selling their flesh uh, and things like that. And then you just then you jolt back into this into this uh, little sunny garden. And it was all very, very sinister, but there was no storyline as such. You just constructed crazy, the narratives yeah. in the ellipses of these 70-plus-year-old women sitting about in the garden. Mm. Just half sentences and very amazing. strong monologues. And that was astounding, so I think, yeah. 
Lucy, anything good, bad or indifferent for you? Um, I was going to say your theory, so I haven't got anything to say now. That's my kind of thing that I have, that also that I've seen a lot of really wonderful performers and sometimes it's the material that's not quite strong enough. I've actually seen a few musicals this year. I have seen a bit of straight theatre as well. But my highlight, and this is not going to sound, this does not sound highbrow. Vulgar. Is it if you will, yeah. if you will, it was. We didn't review it. I didn't even see it for work. There, uh, there was a musical of Adrian Mole. What's that? It was brilliant. I can't understand why you I know. missed that. Yeah. Steve. I know. <laughs> I get all this middle. I get all this middle brown dross now uh, at the theatre, and we have Adrian Mole. Well, I'm sorry. I saw it right at the end of the was run. It good? See, it was brilliant. Love Adrian. Moore. It might also be because I wasn't. I'd forgotten how good. Was it original? Adrian Moore was it sort of eighties, that yeah, yeah. years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he was doing the I mean, accent. That's the stick. He'd have loved it. I mean, he really had it down. And He's from Leicester, of course. Yeah, Moore, yeah, yeah. Like me, the boy who was playing him was absolutely brilliant. And and they so they'd stuck quite closely to the book. And I wasn't expecting very much because I thought, how on earth are you going to make a musical out of it? And it was just, it was brilliant. Did really use... good music, wonderful cast, wonderful dancing, quite moving. Did they use any of his poetry? Uh, yes, I think he did. And about him writing to Malcolm Muggeridge yeah. and all of that. <laughs> Pandora was very good. Sharon Botts, who'd show it all for a pound bunch of grapes, I think. Sharon Botts wasn't in it, it was uh, more Pandora. Pandora, I adore her. But, and, but they, and they made the thing between his mum and dad quite moving they didn't over egg it at all it was you know it was just How amazing it was, it was yeah hi, highly recommended i will simply flag up because i've seen quite a lot of shakespeare for you lucy yes 12th night with that was the one with tamsin greg yeah as malvolia yeah. Mm-hmm. very rare it was just really well not so rare it's just really funny that i mean actually i've seen a couple of good comedies maybe comedies are more successful than tragedies but 12th night she was absolutely magnificent and mm. she's very good in labor of love which is currently in yep. at the moment, which yep. is goodbye. The guy who wrote Ink, James Graham. James Graham. He yep. seems to write sitcoms. That's what, the only thing I was thinking about him. That they, they don't seem like great plays. They're just quite snappy, mm. sort of sitcommy things. Which is well, very, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because didn't don't, don't they always say that if Shakespeare were alive now, he'd be writing sitcoms? Um, sitcoms. Yeah. Oh, and oh, he'd be writing EastEnders. Yeah, that's no, different. isn't that Dickens? Yeah, it was all the same. Maybe they'd all Both be writing EastEnders. He'd be writing EastEnders. Music. Best, worst? I can tell you what I enjoyed. Not for God's um, sake, Lucy. It's not. <laughs> I saw, this is, it was not new in any way. In fact, it's even an old production. But I went to the Magic Flute at the Opera yeah. House. Um, old production, old show, as it were. Just absolutely brilliant. Got better. I thought there was. I thought the beginning was good and the end was good and there were boring bits in the middle. That's another opera people are very sniffy about yeah. as well. I just thought it was Is it because it's a comedy or is it it's joking? Or it's weird as well. Yeah. And, it's, and, and they talk... They talk as well as singing, and it's got all the bit about the kind of Freemasons and yeah. you know. Um, You're selling it well, though. Off-putting. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. It had the most extraordinary Those musical Freemasons. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they are musical. basically. The Queen of the Night was wonderful. A French singer that I wasn't aware of called Sabine de Vieille, I think that's how you say it. And Papagena was by Roderick Williams, and he just was really charming and funny, and uh, it was super. And I also saw Run the Jewels. Hip hop. Oh, you did outfit. The Brixton Academy. In it was tremendous. We're trying to trying to get some cred here, are we now? I'm just telling you what I've enjoyed this year. Stig, you asked. Yeah. It was good. What was good about it? Was it was brilliant. I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know whether they were going to be kind of larry, kind of aggressive, which I didn't. I'm not really, you know, that interested Gangster. in. They, they were about the most, the jolliest people I've ever seen on stage. <laughs> they were so jolly. They were jumping up and down. 
and talking to everybody in between some quite it's not terrifying um rap but it's quite it's quite what's the right full word on? Edgy. it's quite full on yes sometimes it's a little bit in your face in your face rap music oh dear <laughs> but they were wonderful they oh, were like I saw a great gig at the Brixton Academy as well who go on Sleaford Mods really Sleaford Mods they're from who? Leicester as well aren't they they're from Sleaford I've never yeah, heard they of they're all just sucking up to Stig <laughs> we just like things from <laughs> Leicester <laughs> I've never heard of Sleaford or great, Mod. B- great Midlands band of our time do they do that, that one about is it BHS uh, they're doing about job seeking yeah they do yeah, yeah, about yeah 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 um uh, they're just they're brilliant it's this it's this bloke with um uh, a laptop he doesn't say anything he just presses a button and another bloke who shouts uh, in front of him and it's, 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 very relaxing. It's, it's fantastic it's also very in your face very funny lyrics the, his performance mark williamson the front guy is superb he's sort of on the verge of you sort of feels almost on the verge of mental health problems he sort of repeatedly hits his head um whilst barking and it's incredibly... Yeah, this, this sounds terrible. It's, it's <laughs> genuinely th- terrible. They're, uh, they're utterly brilliant. The, music, the music's very good yeah. as well. No, the genius. I love them. Anyway, yeah. there you go. Um, well, I would say um, <laughs> good frontman, probably the only common point here is Nick Cave. Ah, Nick Cave. Oh, yes. We've heard of this that. year, who yeah. I had wanted to see for many, many years and had not. So it was incredibly good. It was... He's just... He's so charismatic and... <laughs> he always he's always always wandered down into the audience that's a staple part of his show and at this one uh, he wandered down and bumped into Bobby Gillespie from Primal Screen mm-hmm. as you as you do yeah. and so then Bobby got, got up on the stage looking quite embarrassed was this stage do you think, or do you think no it was just I don't think really it was I think it was pure wow. accident because he went Bobby <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby went yeah and then they got up on the stage and that was that was lovely and he was he was very good because it was at the O2 and I was a bit concerned about too big yeah, about the size of it, and and he was because I knew he was doing Jubilee Street and Skeleton Tree. Jubilee Street is very stringy, and uh, Skeleton Tree is very very quiet. So I wondered how that would work, but it did actually work really well. So that was. And we have Ben Eastham, Lucy Dallas, he writing was at the same gig as I was, and yes. he's writing yes. about why he felt Nick Cave's tour. Cause he went to see it twice in London and Rome. Yep. is effectively one of the great cultural moments of his life. He thought it was so good. Yes, and he's um, talking about the whole he's doing the, the kind of background to it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, he thought it was wonderful. It, I mean, the, um, the people who I've spoken to have seen it yeah. said that it was clearly a moment. That was this was clearly the year to go and see. Yeah, it, and I, he I, was on the form of his life. Exactly. I bumped into a few people who I didn't know were there um, at the same time, and all of us were just sort of speechless for a while, just mm. looking at each other with our mouths open, going ah. <laughs> Which is a p- pretty good recommendation <laughs> as these things go. Uh, what about I, you, Stig? What I don't listen you... to a lot of new music, but I occasionally I, I, I met a guy for Front Row called Benjamin Clementine. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's good. Uh, Influenced by Nick Cave, he always says. I can yeah. well yeah. believe that. Yeah, uh, and he had a new album. So he won the Mercury Prize in 2015, and he was then producing the second album. And he showed up back at the record company and said, "I've got this album, and it's about two flies." Uh, talking to one another against the backdrop of the jungle in Calais and I want to talk about refugee movements but it's back to being a music a, a cultural rendition of uh, of the migrant crisis and he's ended up producing this album which he didn't call it a concept album but it is a concept album which tells these stories in lots of voices anyway he was, I did front row and I interviewed him and then he played it he just played a song called Jupiter which is about being an alien in America and he just sat there with a piano a keyboard and just played it and you don't really realise till you see some of these people up close just how phenomenally talented you must be to sort of just be chatting on and then you're going to play a song and then just play 
in perfect tune in this beautiful song. It's an ama- Have you heard the album, Lucy? It's a great no, I haven't heard the new album. I've heard little bits, I think. It's well worth checking out. It's very, I mean, but he's basically, he, he would have been this Radio 2 star, winner of the Mercury Prize, does the second album. It could have been sort of very piano-y and tinkly and massively commercial. And then we're producing this weird concept album mm. that's got him putting on voices and stuff like that. But He's when, very, very expressive, isn't he? He's amazingly yeah. kind of expressive in the way he sings and... And I know I don't listen to new music. I regard music as a called nostalgic indulgence. I just listen to stuff I listened to as a kid. Really? Yeah, like I listen to sort of guitar music I listened to when I was thirteen or fourteen. I don't really listen to new stuff. And I was like, oh, it sort of slightly pulled me up short. TV. I think both of us are going well, to say that. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, so I'd like there actually there are sort of for screen things. I have there are two things with handmade in the tale this year. One's, one's The Handmaid's Tale, which we all know about and we'll talk about in a second. The other is the film Handmaiden, um, which is a brilliant um, film. It came out earlier in the year. It's um, Park Chan-wook. He's a South Korean director. And it's um, an adaptation of Sarah Waters' novel Fingersmith, which I believe you're yeah. a fan of, Lucy. And it's set I've in... I've read that. It's set in... 19- Lucy's not looking like a fan of oh, that. I'm trying to remember whether I've read it or not. Oh, I, I love Sarah, Sarah Waters, Waters, but I think I have read that Victorian one. It's a lesbian Victorian one. It's transposed to 1930s career. And it's just brilliant. Brilliant. It's very, very fun, very disturbing, quite sexy, and beautifully, beautifully acted. And was it? Did it make a splash? Was it? Um, it was sort of. I think it was well reviewed. I don't know how, how how much it got at the box office, but anyway, that I, I absolutely love that. And then, of course, there's The Handmaid's Tale, which I know Theo wants to talk it's about too, which is just utterly, utterly brilliant. Bruce Miller's adaptation, another what, adaptation. What was that on? Of, that was streamed, wasn't it? That was on. Uh, that was on Hulu. Hulu. It was, Hulu, yeah. it was Hulu's first thing, I think. And I, I read something uh, earlier. Uh, today, which is that the the book, presumably on the back of this adaptation, is the most read novel this year on Amazon Kindle and Audible as well. So it's actually it's been read more than Harry Potter and uh, oh, Game of Thrones, wow. which is extraordinary yeah. and also heartening in a really crucial way. Heartening yes. in a really really crucial <laughs> yeah. way. So, so it's sort of it's gosh. it's bumped 1984 off then because wasn't 1984 the, the I top? think I think earlier this year it was yeah, yeah. so two strong dystopias that, yeah. 1984 sells a quarter of a million copies every year mm. but there's not because it's studied at school as well yeah but I think all, yeah, no, The Handmaid's Tale is as well isn't it yeah it is, is it? It yeah. Is. I don't know. yeah and has it got has it got over the fact that it's now become so canonical it's ruined by being studied at school do you think it still has the power to because often that, often that can dead the, the atmosphere called yeah, yeah. The, well, once, once a no, book becomes well I think I think this the adaptations merely kind of reinforced it and kind of it's, you know, it's taken it in a different direction which you know adaptations often do and good ones do but it's just it's so brilliantly brilliantly disturbing and Elizabeth yeah. Moss is fantastic in it and it just yeah it, and we you know we were talking earlier about how it touches on themes of migration and yeah. borders and also there's the whole climate change angle because you've got this sort of the, the colonies where undesirables are sent to but they're they're sort of in, the, in this nuclear meltdown and the waters are rising there um and it's just i, I, I found it extraordinary even the, even the color palette is very yeah. memorable i mean the, the way it's sort of washed out in these kind of browns and blues and feels of very sort of cold and gloomy and and I think I think it was structured in a very clever way in that each episode so there are 10 episodes and mostly they focus on a specific character for each for each one of those episodes so you get you get Offred and you get um Off Glenn and you get Nick the driver um and uh, and so and so it all comes together and it's interesting because you wonder what's going to happen next because there's a new series of it coming in April it's 2018 yes. and obviously the the novel finished and it finishes yeah. in the same way that the novel does with this kind of opening out or closing in and you're not quite sure which, which, way, which is incredibly which powerful way it goes which is incredibly powerful and they pull that <laughs> off so so well but you just wonder right. where it's, it's, it's going to go because you don't get the frame narrative in in the um 
in the TV series. You don't get that thing about it being, uh, you know, this is a transcript for the 12th, sympo- 12th annual symposium of Gileadian studies or whatever it is. Although you do get the suggestion that that might come into it because there's the uh, the envoy from Mexico who could be Professor Pichote or whatever Oh, yes, yeah. But I'd read somewhere that apparently it's going to take us out of Gilead a bit yeah, more and we're going to go to Mexico we're gonna, and we're going to go to the colonies as well, which could, could be brilliant, could, could not work. But it begs the question, we talked about this before on the podcast, the idea that if great, where does great writing find itself now? There was a report in The Guardian last week that literary fiction is pretty much dead. Yeah. Uh, that the biggest book of last year sold 100,000 copies and it was Kate, do want to say it, Kate Atkinson? Book. Oh, really? And it was the best-selling literary fiction of the year, and it was only a hundred thousand mm. copies. And as a height, that's not particularly high. So I wonder whether, you know, is the next Handmaid's Tale well, going to appear on Hulu? And the other, the other thing and was it literally is yeah, it is. And um, there was another Margaret Atwood adaptation this year was Alias Grace. Um, and in fact, the other thing that is my sort of best uh, TV or, or cinema thing um, for this year is another adaptation. It's Lady Macbeth. And that's an adaptation of uh, Nikolai Leskov short story, no novella, from 1856. And so, oh. again, it's it's not new writing. I mean, it is new writing. Uh, it is. It's just incredibly clever adaptation. And Alice Birch, who wrote Lady Macbeth, from this, adapted it from this novella, and William Oldroyd, I think he's called the director, it's just so well adapted that it may as well be new writing. Feels like new yeah. And one of the other ones I was going to talk about was um, uh, the Raoul Peck documentary on Neil Negro, which is also ah. an adaptation of sorts of yeah. the unfinished James Baldwin novel, yeah. Remember This House. So we maybe, maybe to, we should talk to, to, to his biographer about on this, yep, James Campbell. on this here podcast. It's good. It's fantastic. I think it's absolutely brilliant, partly because of just the, the footage you get of, of Baldwin just being utterly spellbinding. Yeah. But it's very, very well put together as well. But they allowed him to sort of shine. They right? allowed him to shine. And they did a bit of reflecting on contemporary issues of race in America, but not too much, so yeah. it didn't feel overpowered by that. So yeah, maybe a good year for adaptations, but maybe that, you're right, maybe that says something wider about the, the culture in which we are. Yeah. Lucy, any, any TV? I can't really think of any telly, I'm afraid, but I did see a film Go that on. I liked. I mean, I saw a few films. Um, <laughs> but the one that I liked was 20th Century Women, which is directed oh, by Mike Mills yeah. uh, with uh, Annette Benning in the... She's the kind of lead role, but it's a very good cast. It's got Greta Gerwig in now, who is... It's, it's against the law not to think she's wonderful. <laughs> and... Dakota Fanning, I think, and the boy, I can't remember the, the, no, that who plays the boy, but he's very good. And it's kind of a portrait of, of the director's own mother. And it's about her bringing up her son on her own and how she enlists help and how it works and how it doesn't. And it's a bit, and it's quite, it, it's kind of, it's got a lot of music in it. And sometimes there are things that jump up on screen, graphics or kind of images or pictures of, tickets for a gig or something and some people found it very mannered and 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 quirky um but i didn't find it that she's really wonderful in it and and so she kind of grounds it uh and i just thought it was it was a it was a lovely film and it's quite moving by the end but it's not it earns it you know it doesn't it's not mawkish at all doesn't do that thing of kind of pouring a bucket of emotion over your head after 10 minutes yeah um I can't think of a good film I've seen this year, actually. Really? Particularly God. good. I, I see quite a lot of Middlers Road stuff, I think. Nothing that sort mm. of really excites me. If I you like, like Stig, I've got one I didn't like. Go on. <laughs> 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 I want to see Murder on the Orient Express. 
Um, because I thought it would yeah. be... Is this the Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh one? Yeah, I thought yeah. it would be... I went with someone from the TLS, actually. Oh, lovely. Just for Who? fun. Who Imagine, that? I went with Roz. Oh, lovely. And we thought it would be f- a fun, you know, just a... Yeah, just a two literary journalists all out. Star, all-star <laughs> cast, though, as well. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kenneth Branagh. Mm. Some people, people have loved this. No, but... Oh, God. Uh, Have you Ros- seen the Sydney Lumet original? No, I haven't. It's no. very good. And, and I'm the only person in the world, almost, who didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, never, so, you, no, so, you really missed, so you missed the end. So you didn't know the ending was coming. No, I didn't. I bet that, that even that, it didn't, was, that didn't. didn't, didn't. Oh, I read gosh. the book relatively recently, and the, the ending. You, when you read the ending, you go, oh, come on. And it's it's a bit like. Um, then I woke up it, and it, it was all a dream. It, it, it's a total gimmick ending. <laughs> it, it was. It was. Some people loved it though. What, well, I don't know why. Do you, can you think why? Is it just sort of nostalgic? Sort of? Is there a load the of? The train was nice. I've thought of the worst film that I saw. Go on, Toby. Well, this is it's a very, bit of edge. It's a very sad story. Oh. So I don't oh. get to go to cinema a great deal because I have a small toddler at home. You and do. So, you, know, you have to organise babysitting and all that sort of thing. And my wife and I went to the cinema. We went to see the new Martin Scorsese film. This was earlier in the year. TLS contributor Martin Scorsese. Well, TLS contributor Martin. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm not going to say anything negative about that because I didn't get to go to see it because we were pointed into the wrong cinema by the attendant. <laughs> oh, this is and by the time, is... by the time, it's the like film, sliding doors. Yeah, go yeah on. absolutely, exactly. What could have happened? Yeah. By the time the you know the sort of the adverts had finished and the trailers, when we'd sort of settled into the film, and it turned out to be sort of set in 1930s East Coast America, I thought, hang on, isn't it meant to be set in 16th century Japan? Yeah. But it was too late because we suddenly realised the Scorsese film had already been, you know, started half an hour ago. And I hate going into films late, so we decided to persevere. And it turns out we were were watching Live By Night, which is Ben Affleck's film. It's a kind of, it's a homage to the kind of 30s gangsters films, all of those films that were made in the sort of late 40s and 50s about 30s gangster films. It is so terrible that you almost have to go and see it because he's it, had a bad it, year, Ben Affleck. Of course, he's had a bad year. But I mean, it, the, again, the sort of the, the stereotypes, the kind of the the damsel in distress and the kind of the, str- the strong bitch and the kind of the, the depend, you know, the dependable one. And it, again, you think it's going to do stuff. You think it's going to subvert those tropes, yeah. and then it just doesn't. It's 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 awful. So there you go. That's what I like. A bad to film. Is there anything else? For, I, I'm going to nominate the worst TV show I saw of the year by. a Country Mile was the remake of Porridge. Because I love Porridge, the 70s sitcom, Ronnie um, Barker, amazing thing, beautifully written, and they remade it, and it was eye-wateringly, buttock-clenchingly bad. <laughs> How mean, many episodes in the series? Is it a proper sort of 12 part? I think I only watched one. Right. I watched one, and the, there was one joke in it, and the joke was, I used to go out with a girl who appeared, who, who was a dancer in Cirque du Soleil, Talk about getting your knickers in a knot, uh, and I've delivered that only yeah. marginally worse no, than they did, in the, they did in the program. <laughs> uh, it was dreadful, and I started watching House of Cards late, and what, the first series, the first series, and I liked it, and then I got a bit bored of it, and now I'm never going to see it, and now it's going to end. Do you know what you should watch? You should watch Get Me Roger Stone. Oh, what's that? So it's a documentary about Roger Stone, who is this guy who has been on the political scene an implausibly long time so that you think that he's sort of sold his soul he's just always been there pulling the strings and he's just Ah. a master of the dark arts and he he had his hand in Watergate and then he single-handedly almost brought us to Trump he made Trump run he has played his part in all of these consecutive um the dynasties and then the kind of the political fallout and he's it's just it's sinister and quite soul-crushing because you realize how someone can delight in national and international misery 
but it's that's it, 2017 it's the house of, it's the house of cards <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you know it's, it's real yeah oh god uh, anything else to declare anyone oh sorry last thing go on Roger Stone has a tattoo of Nixon on his back oh so do I so do I <laughs> oh sorry how embarrassing <laughs> I mean, so do I, yeah. yeah. You're going to say that was a bad I thing. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what's wrong with you, how weird. Sorry, uh, that's sorry. all we have time for. I think it's probably wise we stop talking now. Uh, thanks to Toby Lishtig, to Lucy Dallas. Do go to the-tls.co.uk or your local shop for this week's festive double bumper edition of the TLS, which will last you over the Christmas period. There's stuff on Dickens, bread, cricket, the empire, Stalinism, viz and the superfluous classical musings of Stephen Fry. We are also recording one of those lazy cash-in compilation podcasts in which Thea and I select our favourite four interviews of the year. So listen out for that. And we will be back with a bang in January. Until then, from Thea and from me, have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.